0: you're listening to the hockey podcast network new shows every day find us at the hockey network.com or wherever you get your podcasts from
1: hockey fans if you'd like a copy of my new book tales with tr fights film and folklore head on over to blankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com.
0: The third round is in full swing and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free to play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grab each day. The best part, it's free to play. DraftKings free to play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools And choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your free shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details.
1: Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode fifty-eight of Tales with Tr. I'm your host, Terry Ryan. Thanks for joining today. Uh, guest, good buddy of mine, Steve Parsons. We used to be, we used to be uh, roommates in Hershey. Uh, well, we were living in a hotel. We were both there for part of the season, but became good buddies then. I always knew of Steve before that. Played a bit in the Western League and the Quebec Major Junior League. Not a lot of players play in two major junior leagues. He's got an interesting story, so I can't wait to talk to Paris. But I got a few things to say before that. First of all, I apologize for the echo. It's my last week in this apartment. I've been in here for two and a half years, I believe. <clears throat> so just getting... Well, I mean, I was settled a while ago, but you can hear an echo because... Uh, there's most of the things are moved out and I'm sitting here with a couch and four walls. Um, but the first thing I was going to say, I want to bring something up and I, it just came to my attention this week before we get on to the hockey stuff. So my new book is called uh fights film and Fol- folklore. Well, new being last fall, it came out my newer of the two and, um, I, I I wanted to write a little bit about my life outside of hockey. So that's, that's where the folklore and the, well, folklore ended up being a lot of hockey, but the, the film anyway is the kind of the middle part of the book. And I talk about, you know, working on cast and crew of various shows. It's been interesting to say the least, what well, two major people that, that helped me get to where I was, am. Meaning, you know, I do some stunts. I'm in the acting union. I mean, I'm certainly not the most known actor in the world, but I do get some gigs. I got an interesting one coming up. I can't talk about it yet, but it's coming up in the fall. And it's uh, it's the most excited I've been for anything. Um, and, you know, normally I get just like bit stuff here and there. But I've done a lot of stunts at this point because of Jason Momoa and his team who came over here and really worked with me. And two of those people that I really want to give a shout out to are Tommy Clark and... Todd, Scott, and Todd, or, sorry, uh, Tommy Clark and Todd Scott. And uh, they're from out west, uh, but that's irrelevant. But I met them here, but, you know, we got a lot in common. Tommy worked in the rodeo uh, and then became a stunt guy through Todd and Jason and those guys, I believe, I believe. And Todd, you know, is one of those guys, he's in great shape, uh, a year or two older than me, but you'd never say it. And he's just been around. When you see Todd walking, it's like, you almost, you know, there's, the soundtrack should be a country song. He's old school meets new school, but there's a lot of, you know, he likes his beers cold. Two of these guys, they like their beers cold. You know, they like to the party, but they get it done when it comes time they're always at work first ready to go very professional and real good at what they do and I worked with them we went overseas I mean we did some things here in Newfoundland with Frontier and we did a Carhartt commercial together but when we went overseas and again momoa has got this stunt team and a lot of them live all over the world you know they're from Australia and Wales England there was there was a bunch we met a bunch of people it was a great experience but those those are two guys um and I mean like you know, from Lord of the Rings, famed. We had uh, we worked with Craig Hennings, Henningsen. I think it's it is. He's he's man stunt double. I'm getting off track, but point is, the boys are from Canada. We have a lot of mutual friends, and we hung out a lot. And they're re- of of all that world, Jason included. The two most important people to me are Todd and Tommy. I still talk to them. Uh, I you know, the last couple of years, obviously on on Instagram. I'm sure we'll work again at some point. And I just realized I didn't mention them in my book. Now, the reason I'm saying this is, is only for two people. I don't think anybody would notice other than the two people I'm talking about, but they mean a lot. And what I did, I had a standalone chapter on them. And I don't know if you guys have followed my books or if you haven't, maybe this is just one long plug, but I'll often you know, talk about, well, this, this is tough and then I'll, or, or this might've happened and, and this is the best situation I've how can I relate it I often talk about situations and explain them and then I'll tell a story involving that situation whether it's the hardest punch I've taken the nicest goal I've seen scored things like that so I explain my whole experience and the next chapter started with uh, now I've I've explained to you guys all about Frontier and the Republic of Doyle and my stunts. And now let me tell you about two guys that mean a lot to me. And we really had a good time. So that was kind of the point was that I had a standalone chapter. Anyway, as it, as, as it happens, the, the book was a bit of a rush to put it out last year. And I, I was working on five or six chapters and I just kind of put them aside for next time. I didn't even really finish them, but it was it kind of went in at the time. There was a lot to do and it went in one ear and out the other, I guess, uh, when I, when the, I reminded the people I work with, the publishers that I wanted these particular chapters and we kind of did it together. You know, we didn't do the writing together, obviously, but the structure, uh, because it was a bit of a panic. The other one I had these journals from from, uh, you know, my whole life and this one, I mean, some of it was based on that, but a lot of it was, you know, just, uh, the last few years, um, which I didn't necessarily all have documented, but you in in journal form, but I had like pictures and videos and things for the last couple of years, and they mean a lot to me. They're real great people. We did a lot together, and you know I would the the kind of guys that I'd be disappointed if you told me I would never run into them again. They're every bit as close as the uh the closest of hockey players I've played with. I trust them there's only so many guys that you or girls or whatever friends you know, that you really trust, really. Now think about it, that you really trust, not just with money, but with secrets, with money, with, with, uh, opportunities, whatever it might be. Okay. I I can tell these guys anything and I know they got my back. So that's the first thing I wanted to get to today. I'm sorry, Todd and Tommy, you guys are special to me. You're important. I love you. And, uh, I'm just going to have to, You know, I'm just going to have to write about it in my next book. But I'd love to have both you guys on my podcast because if nothing else, you got interesting stories from those stunt years. I mean, I could have written three books just on our time in uh, overseas and uh, doing frontier here in St. John's. We had a blast. But anyway, love you guys, and that's number one. Number two, number two is uh, LeBron James. I don't often talk about a lot of basketball, nor do I talk about LeBron James, but because if, if I know at this point in basketball, in the basketball world, you're, you're from planet Jordan or planet LeBron. Well, I'm Jordan all the way, but I don't want to be sit here and cut up one of the best players ever. Actually. That's what I'm about to do. He is, you know, if the devil is due, because I think, (laughs) I um, you know, both are great players, obviously. And you know, you could make an argument for somebody else. Maybe you like Kobe, maybe you like Shaq, maybe you like Will Chamberlain or Kevin Durant or whoever it might be, but most people at this point would probably say the two greatest ever is between LeBron and Michael Jordan. Now, without getting into the reasons, because really I'm no I watch basketball. I'm very aware of its great players and, and, and the players that are playing, but I'm certainly no one to cut it up and, and tell you why one guy's better than the other. Let's we'll save that for Carl English. Good Newfoundlander, the best Newfoundland basketball player of all time, really. Um, Ask him. But, uh, you know, because you could say LeBron, you know, had a big hand in choosing. You know, he's almost playing GM and player at the same time. You know, you could say that he played on a lot of teams that were uh, super teams kind of thing. But, you know, he still does it. And this is, I believe, what? first year and how many that he's not in the finals i think he's been in 10 finals i mean the numbers start to be crazy but i know there's narcissism and and ego egoism or or ego egotistical uh, mannerisms whatever you might however you might word it is being that i think lebron is me 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 I, i do think that when it comes time, you know, he he plays well within the parameters of a team. But I think in the end, LeBron's about LeBron. Now, that's a good trait to a point. But I think sometimes when it bothers me is when it's so obvious that even he doesn't realize it. Here you got a guy who got knocked out in the first round. And right now in the NBA, we're going to have a champion that no one really would have thought at the beginning. And of the four teams left, I think it's healthy in this People, The complaint in basketball for the last 10 or 15 years has been, you know, these super teams get created and there's only going to be one of four or five teams even worth watching. Well, this year that's out the door, right? So, um, and you know, I know a lot of it with the Lakers was due to injury, but they're out. Okay. The next, the next week he has to go and announce that he's going to wear number six now instead of number 23. Like who cares? right? That's, that's just hungry. It's like a three-year-old begging for attention from daddy and mommy. Okay. LeBron, we get it. You're out. Yay. You're going to be number six. We're going to, we're going to go buy all those jerseys after the playoffs. Can we watch the rest of the guys that are left now, please? Right. And then he comes out again the other day and he's got a problem. Oh, look at all the injuries. Dude, that's part of it. You know, that's part of it. Part of being a champion is dealing with injuries, Ask, I don't know. Now the Tampa Bay Lightning, Kucherov looks like he's out. Winnipeg Jets dealt with that, right? Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs with Tavares and Shifley, who's I was, I was talking. I'm just looking at the hockey world in recent times. You know, you I, I can give you any sport. I don't know. Mike Trout is hurt half the time. The Yankees, they're two big guns in uh, Stanton and Judge. Jesus, they miss more games than they play. Um, and what, that's a no, t- total another a separate argument. Why? Who knows? Maybe it's overtraining nowadays. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that the playoffs are on the go now, Brian, and you haven't been in it for a month. So pipe the fuck down and let it be played. Jesus. I can't stand it changing his number and then piping in on Twitter, right? Too many injuries. We all said that you shouldn't have played so many games in the bubble and, you know, just, just F off. Everybody gets the same odds. Supposing you played 150 games two a day. You're all in the same boat. Now, whatever, you're getting older, deal with it. I mean, I find it's interesting. What kind of athlete are you? I'm not knocking anybody for getting injured. It's a hard sport, especially all that pivoting and running. And under the rim in, in basketball, I've often said, man, is I don't think it's quite standing in front of the net in hockey because we got a weapon, but huh, you, get, you get hit pretty hard under that rim. Uh, it ain't easy, but that's why it's interesting. Watch it play out. Who can last? Survival of the fittest. And and regardless, even if you were, even if you had a point, just pipe down till it's over. You're out. You're out. God, I can't stand it. And that's the only reason I, I've said before. Um, not the only, but certain athletes, certain political figures, right? I I, I just. Fucking can't stand that narcissism. Yeah, we get it. You're important. You're great. Yes. Yeah. We, you know, can can we talk about it later? Can we talk about how great you are? Can we give you some attention after the playoffs are over? Anyway, I'm beating a dead horse. Now you see what I mean? Uh, Number three. The thing I was going to talk about briefly, because you know what? I don't want to talk about politics anymore on here because it gets twisted. So and the only reason I'm bringing it up now is because I got a lot of messages, right? You get it, and it starts to take over the, the message box. People are really fired up nowadays about politics. Listen, I'm serious. I'm in the center somewhere. I'm in the center uh, in this I don't like Donald Trump for the reasons I just mentioned. I think he's narcissistic. It's all about him. Anybody who played on a sports team or anybody that has a daughter or, or a wife, even I, mean, I don't or if you're a woman i don't know how you could i just find the guy and not not because of any um you know how do i put it the, the uh sexual abuse claims or whatever i'm not talking about that i'm just talking about his, his words and his actions because you know i i you know for example i think gays or or the trans community lgbtq whatever you want to call it um Of course, I don't mind if they get married has nothing to do with me as long as people are happy. All you need is love. Boom. But I also I also at the same time don't think that these transgender athletes what's happening now should be able to compete in the Olympics. Are you kidding me? I mean, come on. There's differences in the male anatomy and the female anatomy. It's obvious. Now, you can talk about the shape of your pelvis if you want. like to not saying it helps or hurts. I'm just saying there's obvious differences that in certain events, I don't know, weightlifting and shit men. I mean, unless I'm, I'm again, you can't say anything nowadays, but men are generally bigger and stronger, aren't they? I know there's exceptions and there's overlaps. So you're saying I can just go in now and claim myself, you know, do certain cleanups around the body. Not to disrespect a sexual preference, but this is sports, and I, I think that is a big misfire, and that's where I think the left goes too far. Is that you know you're you're trying to make this argument, which I think is ridiculous, and you know you got Donald Trump firing people up with a lie, but in the middle there's a lot of people like myself that really. Could go one way or the other. I've I've voted in, in the United States. I didn't vote, but you know, the people I lived with and the people that I knew and the, the, the events that were happening, I know exactly each time who I would have voted for. And I don't know if it's been the same three times in a row. And and that's politics, isn't it? Otherwise, if everybody was happy, people would be in there for thirty years in a row. It never happens. At least not in Canada and the United States. I'm not well versed on every other country. A lot of them are crooked or dictatorships or whatever you're going to be. But in democracies, usually the power changes hands because, you know, there's there's good and bad of both sides. And I see that. Uh, So I don't want to go any further with it. The odd time there's going to be an exception, I suppose. But because of all this Trump bashing and everything, I think. I do have friends on the right that are starting to be disrespected and I hear you. I hear all you. I know exactly where you're coming from on a lot of issues. And if nothing else have treated me real well, I spent a lot of time in the United States and I know a lot of people I'm talking to are great Republicans. I know they are. Um, I'm also speaking more to the United States cause I have a large audience from down there because of my playing days and I don't find it's as divided in Canada and the same thing in Canada though. I voted both ways. I voted three or four ways to be honest. Um, it's to, to me, it, you know, it just comes down to each person as a judgment call. I suppose I think if you were to only stick with one party, no matter what, that's dangerous. Uh, you know, but, but that's my opinion. And speaking of good, uh, great Republicans that I've met another question I get, uh, point number four, um, <laughs> Is, you know, people ask me about these guys. Like the guy I'm about to interview is an old school, real tough guy, you know, part of that old enforcer. Don't love the word goon, but I guess I can live with enforcer. Uh, the, about the guy I'm about to interview, Steve Parsons. Well, there's another guy. You ask me about some people. I get often get the question, you know, these underrated tough guys and everything. Well, there's, there's, I, the first one ever comes to my mind, the first is always Jason Renard. And there's a guy. He's on my Facebook, real, real smart. We have, um, Street smart kind of, you know, I met him, I was six, fifteen. 15, call up to the Tri-City Americans and he was a 19 year old pepper pot. Like he's one of those guys, you might see him in these fights, but he, it just seemed like he always had like, just bouncing on his skates. Like, like I, Jason, you know, played all over in the minors as, as a tough guy, feared tough guy, but looking back and looking at the way he skated and he played, I think, I think I do now. I, I think he could have played, um, the sky's the limit as far as the NHL as a checker. He was just a real, real fast, like skater that good hitter. And uh, you know, I didn't really know. I got called up when I was 15. He played the first 30 games with us when I was 16 in Tri Cities, and then we traded him. And he ended up going down to the East Coast League as a 20-year-old and playing until, you know about 10 or 11 years ago. And uh, real, real, real tough fella. And uh, you talk about players that could have made it. I often talk about here that like I just said, I hate the word enforcer. I hate the word goon. Enforcer is kind of borderline. And he was one of those, but if you, if he never dropped the gloves, he would have been effective. I can't say that for everybody that played during that era. But, uh, you know, if if you've been in one of the minor leagues that he played in, you know exactly who I'm talking about. So maybe I'll get Jason on one of these days. Um, My first game in Tri-Cities. Yeah. I mean, um, I got called up when I was 15, right? So I actually played a game in the regular season against uh, Tacoma and just got lit up. Who was that? Uh, God, he was a great hitter. Anyway, mm. Tacoma Rockets. It's um, any two, any three, I would have been 15. Anyway, I remember that. That was a big difference in the Western League. I found like having to have my head up, and there were there were big hitters coming from junior A. But uh, anyway, he, he, he loved it because I, um, I played that one game and then they kept me around for the playoffs. So I believe, you know, the first three games of the playoffs we lost we were down three to nothing against Portland. So they put me in the lineup. I'm 15. And I went right out and I fought Cale Hulse. And I just said, you know, it's three games of nothing no one expects that. And, you know, I want a bit of respect and I, you know, I knew that, you know, we knew we were going to lose, to be honest with you. Portland were a pretty good team. Tri-City were rebuilding. They were about to rebuild with like my age group, me and BJ Young and Damon and Those guys were coming on the scene, but anyway, I just, yeah, I don't know. It was always, you see what I mean? Like it was always in me. You could, I could blame fighting or whatever, but you know, there was always that trait of, you know what, let's get this fucking show going. You know, like, I For whatever reason, once I went out on the ice and the fans were there, I just didn't have much fear. And Jason had none. But he loved that I fought Cale Hulse. I know that. And uh, anyway, the next year, I I loved... He was just one of those guys. He was quirky. And I just got a kick out of watching him. Just every minute was entertaining. Whether he was talking about something outlandish or, you know... um, You know, he had strong opinions. So whatever it was, you could be talking about the military or the latest football trade, whatever it might be, but he'd make it really animated. So, uh, JR, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on here one time, one of the all times, and we haven't uh, seen each other in quite a long time. It'll be a great game of catch up. Hmm, Where are we? Oh, the Habs! Uh, yeah, man. I mean, this is great. You're watching. What I love about hockey is the unpredictability. And of all the sports, when it comes to playoffs, it's it's you can have the worst team play the best team, and the worst team will win more more than any other sport in hockey. And I love what you're watching. And that's a real poor way to frame it, the worst team. Because I'm just saying with with points going into the playoffs, I guess Montreal were last, weren't they? 16th of the 16 teams in the playoffs. But you can turn it on. And when people start getting confidence, you know, I mean, every second sports movie is based on that premise, right? You know, you, you get a bit of confidence. You can turn it around from Major League to Rudy. to I don't know. Remember the Titans, Friday Night Lights? It's always the same sort of thing. The story changes, but the the general uh, content and the general plot, I guess, is often one of, you know, the underdogs are going to lose and then they win. So uh, however that comes to be, you know, there's your – there's the middle part of the movie. Well, with these Habs, whether they win or lose, they're up three games to two, as I say this, they're playing Vegas. I mean, you just got to love – Everything about the team. This is this is hockey. This is what playoff hockey is all about. They they're hanging their egos at the door. No one is is there. Seems to be talking about me, me, me. If it ended right now, they would have had an unbelievably successful year. Uh, I actually wish there was more of this kind of attitude when I was there. They got um, not not knocking the players I played with. But I think we we needed a bit extra toughness. You know, we traded away Brad Brown and 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 Darcy Tucker. Tucker, I mean, God, how do you trade him away as a young player? Um, and there was obviously tough guys like Corson and everything, right? I mean, Montreal were never wimps, for lack of a better way to put it. But I just know this year they needed a bit of gritness, or a bit of grit, and you know, from Anderson to. Uh, and I'll say, like, what Stahl and Perry, these guys are winners. Stahl, Perry, you look at Eric Stahl, right? Towards the end of the year, he looked like a dinosaur. But again, the other night, he scores a nice goal. They know how to win. They've done it. So, it's you know, if I was Cole Caulfield or I was Nick Suzuki or whoever it was in that room, I know I know I would be more comfortable with Perry and Stahl there and, and Price and go on down the list with the veterans. Petrie is putting on an absolute clinic. I mean, do you see this guy injured, comes out with those wolf eyes? I mean, or zombie eyes. anyway what you're watching i've been a part of this just on a few times a ball hockey when it comes to ice hockey really it was a senior hockey team i played on called the 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 conception base seabees a real old historic team here in newfoundland and we kind of had the same thing happen i know of course it's not the nhl but in relative terms i've gone on a couple of runs i've won championships but just not in that sense where you come in and no one believes in you and uh you know you end up doing it it's a great feeling uh you know and i've been there a few times obviously never on an nhl stanley cup playoff level but i mean it's all relative Been at the world championships and ball hockey and nationals and things like that um and you know, everybody buys in, and what you're watching, and with the Islanders as well. Now, I'm not knocking Tampa Bay or Vegas either, because just because you're the better seed doesn't mean the playoffs aren't hard, and it, you know, it, it almost makes you an easy whipping boy if it's even close. But I'm just saying that the, the, you know, when you're watching the Islanders and Montreal even make it this far, as I say this, it's three games to three with the Isle uh, with the Islanders going back to Tampa. It's beautiful, and it's a bunch of people. It's it's it's. No individual above everybody else, as is a different case in other sports. I mean, look at the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving gets hurt. Harden plays, but he plays hurt. They still have Durant, who put on one of the best shows ever now. I'm not necessarily talking down and condescending towards the sport. I'm just saying in hockey, it don't work like that, right? The best player, who who are you going to say is the best player? 90% of you out there are going to say Conor McDavid. How close has Conor McDavid gotten? Not even... A sniff. He's never had a sniff in the playoffs. Who are you gonna say is the best goal scorer? A lot of people are gonna say Austin Matthews. Not close. A lot of you gonna say Alex Ovechkin. One all those years, one cup. And a lot of I'm not knocking, but that's how hard it is to win. Right? That's how fucking hard it is to win. But hockey's a different sport than the others. And I Again, I say that um, lovingly. I love that about the sport. Um, What else? Since we're in Canada, and um, I spoke to a lot of you Americans just then. I know there's quite a few of you, and thank you for listening. Republicans, Democrats, kids, adults, Women, men, all of you, love you. But in Canada, we got some... I know a, a, a large portion of the audience also listens from Canada, and, uh, you know, I've played with a lot of... Um, a lot of players that have first-hand experience with Indigenous communities or are Indigenous themselves. I mean... I say native, I also hate that we can't use these words that I've always used, I think I can say native, I'm not sure, of natives that I've that I've been real good friends with, like Sheldon Sury who came on this show, Craig Stahl in Tri-Cities and on and on, I spoke to them and I used the word native, and I, people say now indigenous, uh, so if you've ever heard me sprinkle the word native and, and I shouldn't, this is where I'm getting where where it goes too far on the left again. You fucking know I'm talking about it with respect, right? That's the thing. It's respect. So what I'm getting into is that I, I had to pull the car over on the way here. It doesn't happen much. I had goosebumps and tears in my eyes because I've had first-hand experience and I've lived out West and I know these great communities. And I know, uh, you know, the, 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 the natives that I've come in and, 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 and people with native heritage, should you say, I guess, that I've come across have been only great to me, but there's been a lot of atrocities happen. And I'm talking about now another place where they, a residential school where they found unmarked graves with children. And it's a residential school system is a real black mark on the country. And a lot of you probably don't even know it, but uh, I don't want to get into it, but it, it it's, do yourselves a favor and everybody else actually uh bring some awareness to it just check into it google search it or, wh- or whatever you're going to do but you know i got to give a shout out and uh, thoughts prayers condolences or whatever to anyone that's listening um that's indigenous or uh you know had any relationship whatsoever with not only residential schools but the communities you know, when that happened in Kamloops, I've got, Kamloops is one of the best places I've ever been. So it's not just the people that went to the schools. It's the families that are still living that, that, that you know, have had that scar for, forever. And it's the people that live in these communities that d- d- didn't really understand or even know much about it that are now embarrassed. Anyway, I don't want to get too far into it, but I feel it deserves at least a mention And support's always here. Um, Yeah. That's it. So coming up, Stevie Parsons. Now, I had him on Third Man In, which was the podcast I did before this briefly with a couple of my buddies and Charles Pickett and Mike Hickey, and uh, we kind of went through his career chronologically so today, so if, if that's what you're looking for, you know, the very, you know, when Steve started playing hockey at five years old till, you know, his last game, then maybe you listen to that one. I'm sure some of these stories are going to overlap, but I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to take him down a little bit different of a path here today. Uh, so if you're interested in the specifics of Steve's hockey origins, maybe uh, give that one a listen first. We'll be right back with one of my best buddies in the world, interesting cat and good friend, Stevie Parsons. Be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest played seven years of professional hockey in the now defunct enforcer role, racking up over 1,000 penalty minutes in the process, highlighted by a 366 PIM season in 2001-2002 as a member of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. He had an unorthodox hockey journey to say the least playing in both the WHL and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and stopped for a season to play for Concordia University in Alberta before overcoming crazy odds and going on to play professionally. He was my roommate in 2001 when we suited up for the historic Hershey Bears of the American Hockey League. And we remain close to this day. He is a proud pugilist, a dazzling dad, a positive pal, terrific teammate, a hell of a husband, a good guy. He's a hell of a catch and now works in the patch. He likes Colgate toothpaste and when he played was a suitcase, have no doubt he could knock you out. More often than not, he had a pretty good shot. He likes John Mayer and was an underrated player. We've been on some tears, crushing thousands of beers. If you like the first side, you're into Gary Larson. Ladies and gents, please welcome Steve the Hammer, Persons. Pers, what's up, man? How are you?
2: Oh, man, I need that shit written down and framed. That's the nicest thing someone's ever said about me, TR. That's the best. I'm well, you were. Well- you?
1: You are one of my closest hockey friends, and I uh, appreciate you doing this. So, you, without without getting in describing exactly what you do and where you do it, you're you're in BC now, and you're you're on a drive. You're working, and you literally pulled over to the side of the street to do this interview, uh, on, literally on the highway. So, I really appreciate it. How are you doing? How's the family? And uh, catch me up briefly on how you're doing.
2: Yeah, uh, you bet, Terry. I'll give you the quick zip. So. Yeah, I'm pulled over right now, just outside of Kamloops, British Columbia, and just north of town. Um, I live in Calgary. Um, I've got a young family there. I got three little kids, but I work in the uh, in the pipeline business, and I'm uh, what they call a supply chain specialist or a supply chain manager for pipeline construction. So I deal a lot of uh, contracts and uh, vendor management to, to build this uh, world class pipeline that we're building from uh, from Edmonton to to Vancouver, really. And uh, the, the genesis is in Alberta, uh, in the oil patch, uh, a lot of our resources are called landlocked, and we got to get them to tide water. And this project was purchased by the Canadian government uh, a couple of years ago, and they have a seat as a national interest. And one of my uh, longtime business colleagues came in here as a, as a senior guy and was looking at what he was trying to put together for a team and he reached out to me and uh I fill a very niche role and it's become fairly important to the project and I've been here a couple of years and, and it's pretty awesome and you know what we're doing is uh environmentally safe and friendly it's uh it's it's super sensitive and hypersensitive to our indigenous friends um you know we're trying to use practicality we're trying to get something done that's ever been done before so um i love a challenge you know that terry I, i haven't shied away from one yet so i jumped on with uh with all my all my guns and all my tools and just trying to learn and as much as i can and and professionally it's, it's what I do. It's a full-time gig. So I'm pulled over just outside of Cal moves up on the North Thompson river overlooking a sawmill on a river and uh, happy to, happy to talk to you, man.
1: I miss that so much, man. Like I, I was in Cornell, as you know, I mean, you played in the Rocky Mountain League, too. I mean, I, we'll get into that in a second. And those I, I explained to everybody earlier in the preamble. I do. When I, when I did third man in, we did a kind of a chronological thing. So I am going to kind of bounce all around. But let's go back to that first, because it's so unique. And, and the league, first of all, we played in the Rocky Mountain Junior Hockey League is now defunct. And... Um, when I called you an enforcer, you know, that's kind of what you did in pro, but you're, you're much more than that. You could never play in those junior leagues. And I I believe one of you, Paris, I looked at your stats. I forgot your last year there, you had, uh, 30 odd games, 18 points. It's pretty good. Uh, and, and I've seen you play. I think from the beginning, you could have been a defenseman right from the beginning out off the glass and, and, uh, maybe even gone further. But before we get there, before we get there, how did it all come to be? You, you're in, Where did you grow up, and why the WHL and the Quebec League?
2: Uh, you know, it, it's great that you asked it that way. So I, I, I was born and raised in uh, Squamish, BC. I was born in Vancouver, raised in a town called Squamish, which is halfway between Vancouver and Whistler. And uh, we had community sports, small town, and it was good. Um, but at a young age, I moved up. I started skipping from novice to Adam, Adam to Peewee. I was a big kid, um, big for my age, and took some power skating lessons locally, which not many kids did then. And so I was able to kind of get to the head of the class. And so my dad's a Cape Bretoner, raising me on the West Coast with these, you know, it's a different – it's a different vibe with that environment. So I, I had a, I had a bit of an edge at a young age and, and he, and he certainly pushed me into that, that environment. So, and then in school, the same thing, I actually did grades one and two in the same year. And so in school I was constantly moving up. So my peer group was always one or two years older than me. So physically I was the same size, but I was only, you know, nine between my ears, but I looked 12. And so uh, <laughs> back, back in the eighties, you know, I looked. I looked. You know, I was nine. I looked all bad in the eighties. Uh, street fights and bike and bike rack fights and neighborhood scraps—that was normal, right? That was something that I was yeah. familiar with. I remember, you know, being 10, 11 years old and having, you know, six or seven street fights in in, in the summer and then going back to school and having them through the course of the year. And it wasn't uh, wasn't like it is now, right? So I kind of fell into that role and that kind of persona at a young age. Although, I, you know as I got a little bit older and then the the talent pool got bigger and the guys got stronger, you know, I wasn't nearly as dominant and I became more insecure. And then my family moved over to uh, Nanaimo through a a divorce, we'll call it. And, and I just kind of, I don't know, I don't say lost my way, but I definitely lost my confidence for four or five years in my teen years. And when I got to junior age, um, I probably deteriorated a bit as a player. I wasn't like I should have been, but, Lo and behold, the Calmoe's Blazers—they uh, took an interest in me, and and they listed me during their during their they won three cups in four years. I joke that I played the year they didn't win, and it's actually fact. So. Um, <laughs> We won three and four and I played the year we didn't win. And so I was a healthy scratch there for probably, call it 60 games over the course of two seasons. And I just couldn't get in the lineup. I mean, trying to get ice time from McGinley and Doan and Tucker and Nash. And it was impossible, you know, and Chris Murray was ahead of me and Scurlock was behind me. And I was kind of the in-between guy there for a window and just never got my legs under me. And so I rinsed out on the dub and nobody really wanted me. No one really knew where I was. And uh, I was playing Junior A in the Rocky Mountain League, where I used to play against you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, we had a line brawl with you guys one night in Quinnell, I remember.
1: I totally and, remember uh, that.
2: Uh, Dave Pernak was our goalie. He ended up being your teammate down in Tri-Cities. And... Uh, we
1: I've got a picture. He fought. There. He fought Chris Spencer. I got a picture somewhere of that. Uh, so when you when you went into to, to play in the Rocky Mountain League, is that what you were thinking? Like I'm gonna like. Were, were, did you, were you well aware I'm gonna be I'm gonna go for the tough guy role?
2: No, no. I, in fact, the year before uh, midget AAA, I was uh, our team was I think silver medalist in the provincials. Um, I was named to the tournament all-star team. I went to Kamloops camp as a D-man. and um,
1: Okay, as a D-man, as a D-man. This yeah. is what I'm wondering because over the years, I mean, when we played together, you know, it was forward and it was, you know, at that point you'd fully accepted I'm going to fight everybody and I'm going to be left wing or right wing, wherever they put me, but you weren't playing D. But when, you know, afterwards we played a bit of rec hockey out in, in, in Shinny and, you know, even practicing down in Hershey, like you're pretty good on your edges. You can tell you went to power skating. You weren't the, the word. I, I'm not articulating this the right way when I say you weren't as bad as you would think. But at, for a guy in that role, you were very surprising skills. You had very surprising skills. You just it was just hard to use them. You know, Darren Langdon's a good hockey player. It's it's hard for anybody in during that era to see him doing anything but fighting though. So. I was kind of surprised. So, yes, I'm glad you, you mentioned that you played D. At what point did that change? Because I, when I look at you play, you're a natural defenseman to me. It's like watching Adam party, like a big guy with big hands that's pretty tough that can get it out. I mean, of course, you fought more than Adam did. I just mean in raw talent when I look at you. So when did that happen, the choice to to play forward? You
2: know, it's it's um, it's one of those things, Terry, where I got – continually pulled into that role because of the style that i played and and oftentimes in junior uh for energy or a power play they'd bring me up and play me up on the line up the lineup if one of our power forwards went down you know i was never a one two guy as a d-man i was always a three four five guy you know more four five than anything um so you know i was, I was you know i was going to be that smashy-in-the-face kind of defenseman and, and be hard on guys and scrap. And back in those days, there was lots of guys out there like that. You know, Colin yeah. White came through like that. Jamie Huscroft came through like that. Marty McSorley was my was my idol. That's how he played, you know, like, you know, and, and I thought I wanted to play that game. And Marty McSorley led the league in plus-minus and had 50-point years and 400 pims. So, you know, I was trying to channel that energy, um, you know, but what happened was I get to places like Kamloops or eventually Laval or into the American League and the coach would just say to me, Hey, listen, like, you're not in our top six, but fuck, we want you in the lineup. Are you willing to play some left wing to get in the lineup? Oh, for sure. So I kind of put that in my I kind put that in my pocket and became pretty good at left wing, you know, relatively. And so when I go to tryouts or training camps, didn't matter if it was NHL, American League, WQ, NIMP College, anything, I would start the camp on the D and then main camp would come or if black and white game would come when I'm playing left wing.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm like, all right. So, okay, well, whatever, man. And I see guys, I see guys get caught. I see guys get released. And some guys refuse to play positions. And I said, fuck, whatever. Like, whatever you want me
1: to do, I'll do it. So, which leads me to my next question with the whole Concordia thing. First of all, when you went and played their were you defense second of all, how did that, like, it's just such a weird step when you look, cause you played junior. And then you, I had to remind myself, I looked at your hockey DB again, and I, I keep forgetting that before you went, you did go and play a few, few games of pro. Then you decide to go back and play this Canadian college hockey that, you know, is very rare. Anybody comes out of there, let alone a guy who just a couple of years later is going to be one of the penalty minute leaders in all of professional hockey. It just seems like the weirdest link in that chain. And I don't understand it. I know you told me before, but I forget. So tell us starting with, did you play defense there and how did it all happen?
2: Yeah, I played defense there, right? So the, the easier the league, the more I got to play as a D-man, right? So when I went, I was done my, my 20-year-old year, and uh, I burned my eligibility for any kind of NCAA opportunity, and I was actually set to go play in, in Red Deer College. I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't recruited by any of the CIS uh, leagues or teams at that point. Um, I'd only had, call it, 30 major junior games, so I wasn't exactly a – Coveted guy, and I only—I had a couple points, so I was a I was going to be a college guy, Canadian college, Nate State Red Deer. So I was all set to go to Red Deer. Wait, wait,
1: wait! Why not pro first, like before you?
2: Um, well, I did go pro. So after my junior year, um, I was going to go. Uh, well I didn't I didn't have any offers um,
1: I just I find that no- so unbelievably hard to believe unbelievably hard to believe listen to me grab a thesaurus well, you idiot back, um, to
2: <laughs> days, <though. It's laughs> back to 95 right 95 that's when you didn't have really have the internet you had to do phone calls you needed references and and I wasn't you know I just wasn't uh, I wasn't a wow okay I wasn't a full-time hockey player I was a wannabe hockey player you know but I wasn't a full-time hockey player and so I had to take what was offered to me And so I was all set to go to school in Red Deer. And then I got a tryout with the Bakersfield Fog in the West Coast League. And I went down there and I think I played five or six games and they traded me to Reno. And I was there with Mano Rayom. It was kind of cool. In hindsight, especially now, she's got a book out and she's, you know, more prominent than ever. And Christmas time. Uh, they made a coaching change, and they just told me that I wasn't in the plan. So they sent me home at Christmas. Uh, I was 21 years old, and I and I got cut from the last place team in the lowest professional league. And so I, I wasn't really optimistic of my, my, my chances to, to do anything. So <laughs> what the fuck do you do, right? I know. <laughs> yeah, like I, I mean, what do I do? So I went to work. I started working, and then I got an offer to go play senior hockey, <laughs> up in Manning in the North Peace Hockey League and I'm um, the only guy that's ever gone from the North Peace League to the NHL so I got that in my bonnet but I uh, went up there and I played half the year and realized that being uh, close to the Yukon working on a grain elevator wasn't for me and I went back and I finished the year with Stony Plain in the Chinook League and uh, then I registered for university that summer and I went to Concordia I took uh, psychology I worked in youth care and uh, played a lot of D and uh it was good I really enjoyed it it was fun next summer I went to an ID camp uh, there was a professional ID camp and I went to that one uh one weekend and uh the guy there hosting it offered me a tryout in Milwaukee in the IHL wow. and I said okay <laughs> so I guess I'll do that
1: that's so, how that happened uh, that is yeah that is uh just incredible so you, you go there. I know I said I wouldn't go in chronological order, but it's so amazing to me because this route is just, it's unheard of, right? It's unheard of. There's a lot of things in here that are way off track with what normally happens in a hockey journey. So you go to Milwaukee, so you must have done all right at the camp.
2: Yeah, right? I hit the team out of camp. They're, they were like, they said to me, they kind of like you. So where did you play last year? Concordia <laughs> University. CIS, no, no, uh, Canadian Connecticut College in Edmonton. We never heard of that. Where are you from? I played senior hockey before that. Then I took a year off. Holy. In the last three years, you've played one season of organized hockey, and now you're you're literally on our top eight demon coming out of campus. Yeah. Holy fuck, kid. And at that time, I was 24, and I was a rookie. And a 24 year old rookie in the minor leagues is a Pretty good thing to be because most 24 year olds have their 200 games. But here I am, a 24 year old that's 6'4, 240 and willing to fight everybody in the league, play play okay, the United League, so I could get by. And well, Milwaukee, and then I got cut and sent to Madison in the UHL. And, but a regular
1: um, pro hockey gig, yeah. I mean, well, UHL is pretty good. I, I watched games, I thought it was pretty good, to be honest, considering.
2: Well, it was funny because I got called up uh, a couple months into the season to by Milwaukee to play a couple games, and and uh, first game I played, I was running around a little bit. I got I got on the score sheet and pushing guys and really imposing my will, and didn't really get a fight from anybody. And then it was we won the game, and we flew to uh, Winnipeg the next day, and we had to go play the Moose, and we went in there and we were getting we got spanked six one or seven one. And I'm out there trying to fucking make plays and have a good stick and hold lines and see the right guy. And I, I didn't, uh, I didn't immerse myself in the game, Terry. I didn't fucking run anybody. I didn't call anybody a pussy. I didn't, I didn't bully anyone. I didn't stand up for our team. And so, the next day we flew back to Chicago. We're busing back to Milwaukee, and they called me up and they, uh, the coach just said, "Hey, listen, uh, we're gonna let you go. Uh, we brought you in because you got 250 penalty minutes, and you played like you don't have any." And wow. I, I said, wow, like, ah, man, that's it's a big step for me, man. Like, I've never even, you know, I'm just trying to get used to the pace. And he's like, oh, that was your opportunity, and uh, we'll see you on the trail. And they fucking cut me over that.
1: Wow, Purse, that's pretty blunt. Well, I mean, it, sure. it certainly lit a fire under your ass, didn't it?
2: Well, I went back the next game, and I basically obliterated the league the rest of the year and went after everyone I could go near. didn't matter who it was. And that would have been, we'll call that January. And by, uh, by September, I was in Pittsburgh Penguins training camp.
1: That's amazing. Now, you go to Penguins training camp. You told me some stories. I mean, Mario Lemieux is there during this time, one of the most mesmerizing players. I hate always saying who my favorite player is because it's hard to judge between all those. Like Bobby Orta, Gretzky, Lemieux, they're all so different. And they're they're also and, and and, you know – the list doesn't have to stop there. Gordie Howe brought so much. to, And now you can go back and watch more and more footage as time goes by of these archives. But what I will say is that he was definitely my favorite player to watch. And I technically played one. I didn't get one shift, but I, I dressed for a game against him. And it, it was mesmerizing. And that was an NHL. I, I really, I wish I could have seen a guy like that at camp. And, and meaning that' they're just out there more, like I remember watching Mark Reckey and like what, what makes a Mark Reckey well you know the squad game and then afterwards practicing, and well, you, you get to see a little bit up close and personal. How was it to be up close and personal with Mario Lemieux uh
2: man i it's, i think I think it's probably my my career highlight um and I, and I would really for i overachieved by by every standard imaginable. Um, and, and I believe that I, and I, and I've got a line that I used to use on guys when they used to call me the worst player in the league. I say, well, I'm, I'm overachieving to be here. And you're supposed to be in the NHL. So you, who fucked up? It's not me. <laughs> so if, if I'm so horrible and you're playing against me, like you've, you've done something <laughs> wrong, man. You
1: had great chirps. You really did. I loved him. You were making yeah. me, you would make me laugh. You and David Ling are two guys that, I remember openly laughing during the play, you know, just, and that's, that's a great characteristic. Anyway,
0: I
2: don't take myself too seriously. Right. So my, that year, my first year, I went to Pittsburgh twice and the first year Mario wasn't there uh, Yoger was, and I got an invite to try out based on a summer camp in, uh, Boston with Paul Vincent senior. Yeah. And Neil I Shay. used to go to that. Yeah. yeah. It was fantastic. And that camp, I think, uh, Brad Richards was there. Vinny Lecavillier had just been drafted or maybe the year before, but anyways, they were there and they asked me if I was willing to, to fight and if I went to camp and I said, absolutely. So I went to camp and ended up in the East coast league. Then Mario came back midway through the year. Um, I started Pittsburgh, Wilkes-Barre, East Coast, back up through Hershey. That's when we were together. And then Pittsburgh signed me that offseason. And that's when I went back, and they put me on Mario's team uh, for training camp. And, uh, you know, showering, playing, practicing. And, you know, training camps are, what people may not know is, like, you play your inner squad games, but it's a tournament, right? Like, green plays gold, black plays white, then you play each other, there's a semi, there's a final. And any camp I've been to, someone wins the round robin tournament, right? Like, it's a thing. And I mean, even around professional athletes, you know, I never met a professional athlete that isn't more competitive than the next one. So camp isn't, no one's out there being okay to lose in camp. It doesn't matter if it's fucking Mario, me, you, Yager, Oli. didn't matter. You want to win. And uh, Mario wanted us to win. And so he would, he would tell me, he's like, leave your gloves on. You got to play. We're only at nine forwards. And, I had to one point uh, midway through camp. I think I had five or six fights already. And, it, and listen, man, in training camp, you know it's kind of not prison rules, but you're not going to get thrown out. So a late hit, a snow on a goalie, a challenge during a conversation—like there's some leniency there to, to draw yourself into the, to the. If you're a scrapper, especially, you know they're they're waiting for you to do that. So. He tell me no more fighting you've got five fights we all know you can fight let's see a play and so i'd be playing but then guys you know they come at me and they if i say no once they're jabbing at me and they're pulling at me and i went over to mario and i said hey like this fucking guy won't leave me alone like i want to i want to go him he's like all right just him and so (laughs) i got a really cool video where um where a guy we squared up and I, i hit him with a couple and down we go and and he, 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 I broke his nose pretty bad and he bled on the ice a little bit. And, and, and the guy comes out and he's scraping the blood off the ice. The, the Zamboni, the ring attended. He's scraping the blood with the scraper and the guy's up, he's got a towel. And Mario goes over and he like tells the guy like, Hey, you better get off the ice. Uh, we're trying to get the game going. And then they leave me on for the face. I pick up my gloves. I line up for the draw. Point shot, rebound, I score. Like fight and a goal, same shift. I think Mario was happier than I was. And it was just <laughs> one of those moments. He's like, see, see, if you just leave your gloves on, you can probably score some more. I thought, oh, Holy shit, maybe we're on to something. But um anyways it was a lot of fun i spent a lot of time with him uh, in those camp and uh and he knew who i was in fact i ran into him a couple of years later at an edmonton hotel they were in town to play the orders i was there on business and i saw him from across the lobby didn't think he'd recognize me you know he walked right over put his arm on my shoulder said hello introduced himself to my guy i was with and you know his nickname is ace and uh there's a good reason for that
1: that is just incredible, and, and- of, of all your stories, and God knows I, I've heard all of them, and you've you've sat excruciatingly through a lot of mine, but that is fantastic because um, he just gets better with time. I look back and 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 what I appreciate more and more as time goes on, you could always see the goals, but the way he handled himself with nowadays, where just every day there's someone goes off on Twitter. Or love him or hate him like LeBron has always got something to say about the reps or about this or about that. Every day it's about him. And Lemieux was just so elegant. You know, he was so articulate. And, you, you know, I'm not saying he was without flaw. But that whole time, Wayne Gretzky and Mary Lemieux were kind of carrying the NHL. And they were so classy, you know, like Jean Beliveau before. You know, we, we, we've we had Gordie Howe. Like As hockey players, we've been fortunate to have such great icons associated with it. And you're in there. Playing with one, with that great story, just incredible.
2: Pat um, me on the back, cheering me on, tell me to go get them, tell yeah. me to let my gloves on. We end up winning the tournament. He took us all golfing. He rented a big bus, and he picked us up at the hotel. We all went on the same bus. He gave us all a sleeve of Max Flies, sixty sixes, which I proceeded to put in the bush. And I wish I'd still have those as a little keepsake. Um, You know, he's just an awesome, awesome guy. And he made people around him better, too. Like, you know, guys like Kovalev and Stevens and Kasparaitis, they were all there. And they were nicer than they might have been because he set the tone, right? So, you know, I just, I remember those years well. And, fuck, he was top-notch, man.
1: And that's a good point. I often take things for granted when you're speaking to an audience a lot of people listen to this show don't even uh, have never played hockey and some people a small portion that i work with in the film community or whatever don't really aren't hugely familiar other than like watching it they know the rules but other than that so that's a little inside story that makes sense i've never really elaborated it but yeah like that that's a tournament and I, re- I don't remember how much, but I think when we played, like everybody threw money in. And I remember I was on Rex's team. We had camp in Mont Tremblant, which is a wicked part of Quebec, really scenic. It's a ski ski resort, I believe. And we, we had it out there. And then when, when we won it, I don't know, what is there, five teams or whatever, and something like that. And, and when we won it, like we used all the money to go out and we went to a steakhouse. We had a great time, but it was you know, people wanted to win, so you're seeing the competitive nature. You could, you could only go through camp, and you'd have a good idea about what these guys are, are made of, right? I mean, in my in my point of view. So that's a good point. I want to ask you before we end, and I don't know where when this comes because this is not going to show up on Hockey DB. But didn't you date Mindy McCready for a little spell? Am I wrong? Yeah.
2: Yeah, the late Mindy McCready. Um, she. Uh, yeah, God rest
1: her soul. Yeah, I, yeah. Jeez, I forgot soul. that.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, we we had uh, we had a, a we call it a one year relationship. No.
1: Those who don't know, before you go further, there was a, a country singer, a real beautiful woman. I'd forgotten, Purse that she passed away. So, But, I mean, the, the question is not distasteful anyway. I, I really want to know how that came to be because I'm not saying that you're not a great guy and you're Steve Parsons, the professional hockey player, but timing is huge here. When you were dating her, she was one of the biggest country stars on the planet. I can't remember how. Why don't you take us through that story?
2: Well, yeah, well. I was playing for the Madison Kodiaks, and I was earning a whopping three hundred and fifty dollars a week, <laughs> and and they paid for my furnished apartment that I shared with a guy named Dominic Chason, and uh, and they the team brought in Mindy McCready to do the sing the anthem before the game, and then after the game they were going to do a makeshift stage, uh, take the glass out, do a stage, and she was going to do like a concert, eight or ten song concert, and. Whatever, okay, we're playing. And at the time I was living in Madison, Wisconsin, and I was playing my normal game and I'll never forget I was trying to trying to bully and intimidate the other team and, and no, I couldn't I couldn't buy a fight, but I had a couple penalties. I was in the box late in the game and and our, our promotion lady, every team's got like a marketing representative who runs the game night promotions, right? And and the, and at that time they used to go down to the down to the scorekeeper's box and, and the guy would make the announcement for Advertisements, uh, fan and fan announcement. So this particular time, she comes down and she's like telling the guy that you know Mindy's going to sing after the show. Um, you can move closer to the stage, and so they're waiting for the play to stop so she can do this announcement. And she looks at me, sitting in the belly box, and she goes, "Oh, by the way, Mindy McCready said that if she doesn't see number four fight, she's not singing." And oh I'm in the box. I'm in the box. I'm number four, and I'm in the box with two and a half minutes to go. I'm looking at the clock, like fuck. I might. I don't know if I got enough time. I said, "You just tell Miss McCready I'll meet her after and we'll talk about it." And so uh, she wow, said, "You serious?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "You let Miss McCready. I'll I'll deal with Miss McCready when I'm charred up." And so. Uh, Oh man, what you're thinking? I can't just just wait.
1: Just that snapshot of time. You're because everything's happened. Like, you know, not long before this, really in recent memory, like you're playing in the Peace, whatever, North League <laughs> fucking senior hockey, okay? Okay, and you're in the penalty box and all you're gonna get is a beer thrown at your head. Okay. Now you're in Wisconsin of all players places, sorry, the hockey hotbed of Wisconsin. You're playing professional hockey, Mindy McCready's there, and all of a sudden, you're throwing it, and you're, you've always been a wheel. You know, you're, you remind me a lot of Sheldon Suray, size, the way you carry yourselves, where you're from. But I can't imagine, because now the wheels must be turning. It's like, whoa, like, what's happening here? So I'm actually going to meet her after. So anyway, it's I just find that What a time that must have been. What a time!
2: Shooting my shot, Terry, so... Uh, we go in after the game, we get the win, um, shower up, get out, have a little quick workout, get a shower up, and uh, we come out. I come out of the locker room, and you can, you know, the locker rooms always lead to the arena area. And the other team was in town, and and they were all lined up to get her autograph. Hey, eh? the guys got their, and they're all going over to meet her. And half of my guys are over there, and some of the wives are over there. So I went back in the room and had a beer with the coach and. Hung out a little bit and I went back out and there was only a couple of guys left and I waited to the end and I just walked up and she was just putting the lid on the pen and she looked right at me and says, You're number four. You're a number there you are. And I said, Yeah, I am. And she's a you she said, uh, I love the way you play. I said, Thank you. I love the way you look. And I didn't know what else to say. Wow, and cool. uh, she gave me a great big hug. She asked me if I was gonna stick around and watch the show. I said I had to go get something to eat. She said, No, I got food in the back. Come okay. with me. And so we went back into the change room. Her brothers were there. Her band was there. And they welcomed me like I was uh like their favorite player. And by the time the team owner got in there to, you know, to greet her and do his meet and greet, I was already in the I was already in there eating.
0: <laughs> what
2: a so, story. so I uh, I had something to eat. I sat on the stage. And then uh, basically we were inseparable for the next couple of days, and then uh, Christmas came. We spent some time together. Um, yeah, it was good. It was genuine. It was real. And uh, it was a really interesting time because, uh, you know, I, I I remember getting in my car and I said, you know, I was a little 1990 Cavalier with a dent and cloth interior, and I made no money, and it didn't bother her. Right? She'd also been with you know c- celebrities before me and and whatnot, and. And uh, she wasn't with me for my money, and we had a real life thing, you know, and I, mom, we had a great relationship, but definitely one of those things when you're in the U-Haul league and you hear some guy, the guy leading the league in penalty minutes or majors is Dayton uh, Mindy McCready, it definitely made me uh, a real target on the road, which was perfect, because I, I love the it all yeah, it's it, yeah. I go out like, in Knoxville, and and the whole place is a buzz to find out who this number four is. You know, who's going out with Mindy from Nashville, and basically they bring guys in to try and scrap me, and I'd fight them off one, two, three, and raise the roof and show the belt on the road and all the bullshit nonsense that I used to do, but. That's the story, man.
1: You were great at it, though, man. You made me laugh, even in warm up. Sometimes, <laughs> I remember in Hershey one time in warm up, you just stood on the red line and just looked down in the other end. We were all doing drills, and you just <laughs> you just peered into the other end. I remember it was against—I'll never forget—it was against Philadelphia because my buddy John Slaney was. Um, playing on the other team, who's a legend, but, you know, he's, he doesn't play like that, but he was chewing gum. He, at this point, he was about to, you know, John was, like, about to get his fifty or of 30 goals as a defenseman or something. So, you know, not that he was the one that you were directing, you would ever directed your anger towards, but I remember him just chewing gum going, whoa, that person's guy's fired up. I was like, yeah, we went and did the horseshoe, and you just stayed there, just peering into the other end. I loved it, though. I love your chirps. But, isn't well, it wild it when you look back? like
2: but the coach, the coach, yeah, the coach was yeah, it is wild the, the fact that it's, it's so different. But I didn't have a line. Like, the coaches would say, Take warm up and stir up the pot, and then we'll see what they dress. So I'd go out there and fucking challenge their whole team, hoping that I could start a little skirmish. Then the coach would feel compelled to put me in the lineup because now we're going to have a line brawl. So I would try to. I always joke that warm up was a big part of my game, because I could I could, I could maybe you know rise the raise the temperature a little bit, change the chain, kind of kind of drag them into a dogfight. We were a middling team, and so we needed to level the field. And I certainly didn't want guys being afraid of you know the tough guys in Philly. So you know I didn't want you know I didn't want them going after Rob Shear or Kelly Fairchild. I want them fucking dealing with me. And so, well, how are you? That's uh, why
1: you you, you you were good at it, though, purse That that's that's, I, and I think like, not to fast forward too hard, but what you're doing now, you explained earlier, it requires leadership and it's teamwork and it's it's how to run. Uh, you know, a certain group of people and maximize the potential within that group. And that's what you did, given the little, the small role that you would have. You made it bigger than yourself and you made it about the team. Always, always. I'm convinced that's why, I mean, and that's why you succeeded. And I think with just a slight bit more pre- pre- preparation or, or whether that was your fault or not, circumstantial. I do think you could have gotten... Uh, you know, a few years in the NHL out of it, given what I saw uh, from my peers at the time, there's no doubt. I'm I'm not saying in any way that you should be disappointed. You had a fantastic career, and I love talking about this, but uh, you were just such a fantastic teammate. There's only so many people that can say that they were as good of a teammate. I mean, that anybody that you played with, I think, would would definitely uh, agree with what I'm saying. And what I was going to say earlier, isn't it while you look you look back like that was Madison, Wisconsin? You know, like when you get back and you work and you're part of the workforce, we're in your hometown or wherever you might be. I'm in Mount Pearl now. You're in uh, while well, you're living in Calgary. You're working in BC. Like those are the things. Like even in Hershey, it was it was a little tiny. It, it was a fraction of time. But we were there. We had a great time. I remember going to a party and uh, you know had a few drinks and invited a couple of girls to come out and We were at a picnic table, sitting there in Hershey, which is tiny. People know the team Hershey Bears, but you have no idea the city's only about is it a city it 's a town it 's about eight thousand people it 's tiny so and and you get to live this slice of American. Uh, you know, like, it's almost like you're living in a John Mellencamp song for a while and you know, you're not going to be there forever. You're just, you're just sampling, you're, you're, you're there and and you're meeting people that have the same kind of lives we do, but we'll just never really be immersed in it. But you know, you're, you, you got this glimpse of life in the Midwest or, or wherever you are. I find that fascinating and how you can have an impact and everything else, um, you're I, I got to bring this up before you go, and I know it's probably been overdone. Uh, we're, we're, if, if anybody's interviewed you, I know you were on chicklets a couple years ago. I think you must have talked about it. The, the Patty's Day Massacre, because this is a big as I'm saying this, I believe that's the YouTube handle, isn't it? This hockey St. Patty's Day Massacre. So yeah, I'm going to let everybody yeah. pa- press pause right now and go watch this. OK and then come back. That's with the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins, Parse. Didn't you get like a record number of penalty minutes on one play in this sense? Anyway, it's craziness. Just take us through. Uh, I'm sorry to have to ask you a question that's asked so much to you. I'm sure in every bar, every time you sit down in whatever town, Canada, America, you have to explain this story, but please, for my listeners, tell us all about the St. Paddy's day massacre. Yeah,
2: I'll do my best. You know, it's funny. Uh, the, the video, it took many, many years for it to get onto YouTube. It was back in 2002, and I don't think it hit YouTube until 2010. And so people had heard about it, but they never actually saw it.
1: And uh, and, and now, you know what? Before you go further, and you know there's so much of that shit that came out, and it, it didn't live up to potential. Like, we might go, oh, man, you should have seen this fight. And you look at it, and you're like, well, it's pretty good, but it's not the way I remember it. But this, this can't be... Under, I can't overdo this. I, I cannot exaggerate enough that you're not going to be disappointed. Anyway, keep going.
2: Yeah, well, the real the star—the real star of the show was Jason McDonald, but I'll come back to that in a second. Um, yeah, but I can't go anywhere. I can't go anywhere in business or in life without someone knowing are seeing my videos and i work i work in an office and i work in the field i'm in the i'm in the field sometimes but i'm primarily an office guy business uh, business guy and so you know, it's, a, <laughs> it's a running joke like like i walk in they're like you're the guy on youtube oh my god you know and uh and it kind of you know it's sometimes it's a little embarrassing because you know it's 20 years ago and i got my shirt <laughs> off and the fight wasn't that good but it was still really entertaining um but really on that particular night, um, Syracuse brought a couple of guys up from the United league. They brought up Sean Legault and Brad Wingfield, two notorious tough mm. guys, guys that I had fought regularly, uh, in years prior. I was, a, I was a AHL mainstay on an NHL contract. Those guys were as tough, but they didn't have the same fortune I had. And they were more uh, United league guys with some uptime and, and, but they were tough. And, um, And I think I fought winger in the first period at the end of a shift. And I was going for a line change. And he came off the bench and he grabbed me as I was was going to the bench. And I didn't want to say no. So I squared off with him and I was trying to catch my breath. And just as he was about to come at me, I pulled my left elbow pad off. And I winged it at his fucking head. And he ducked. And I came in swinging. And so when the the referee's telling up the, uh, the fights, he got five minutes for fighting. And I had two for a sportsman-like fight for fighting and attempt misconduct. So I had a 17-minute package in the first. And then in the second period, I think I ran somebody and got a double minor for charging. And then in the third period, uh, it was getting a little rough, but I was already at 21 minutes, and a uh, fight broke out on the ice, and I called the defenseman off to change before the whistle went. So he came off, I got on. Right at the bench there for a neutral zone offside draw, and by the time I got on, he had John Jacobin down on the ground, and he was he was fucking giving it to Jacko. So uh, Jason McDonald and I, if you watch the video, we both come in there, and and I think Mac. I think Mac put Winger in a chokehold and I was pounding rights into his ribs. So we were two on one in the guy, pretty bad. And the linesman pulled us off and kind of broke it up and they were getting me to the other corner and um, I didn't want to leave the altercation. And I knew, well, about a month prior, I came off the bench another time there, Terry and I, I got, uh, I got seven game suspension and I, I broke the record for penalty minutes in a game with uh, 61 penalty minutes. And the record I broke, Uh, was set by Wally Weir in 1981 Mm -hmm. and in 2002 I got 61 took a seven game suspension this game tonight St. Patrick's Day um I'm I'm over I'm in the corner linesman got me I'm like fuck you know I came off the bench I'm third man in I've shoved the linesman like I'm I'm going I'm going to get 10 games right season's (laughs) over so at this point I'm like well there's no stopping me now and uh I was undoing my tie-down while the linesmen were trying to get me to the box, and Winger's standing about 15 feet away watching me, and he's taking his stuff off. Yeah. So I'm wrestling with two linesmen to get my shit off, he's stripping down, catching his breath, uh, meanwhile Jason McDonald is fighting David Ling, his childhood best friend, and uh, Darcy Verreau is cartwheeled Andre Shrupko and... Bert Robertson's got summoned by the neck and it's a fucking full on six on six and uh, winger and I went to center ice and and we were throwing jabs and he fucking cracked me with a hook and then we're I hit him back and then we're on the ground and him and I were laughing here a couple months ago about it because it came up comes up every spring and we were messaging each other and we hadn't really spoken about it ever. And he's like, remember you were fucking eye gouging me? I said, yeah, because you were biting me. And so him and I were literally at center ice, and I think he was biting me, and I was eye gouging him or maybe other way around. But it was was a real fight, and it was fucking no fun. And they ended up giving me uh, 64 penalty minutes on that game and a 12-game suspension uh, with eight games to go. And I had to sit for the next year. And and uh, the fun fact, if it's fun, funny at all, is I, I have the most penalty minutes ever in a game in the American League with 64. I have the second most penalty minutes in a game ever in the American League with 61. And then Wally Weir in 1981 has uh, 59, I think. So I'm one, two all time. Pims in a game in that league uh, about a month and a half apart.
1: Wow. I didn't. You know what? I did. Yeah, I knew some Isn't, of that story. I Most Brian, of it, but I twice over sixty in a game—that's pretty. That those are Wayne Gretzky numbers for a tough guy. Um, so, so listen, when you decided to shut her down, I'd I'd moved on. We always kept in touch. Uh, had you just had enough, or was it the injuries piling up? I, I remember you had sore hands. How could you not? You're you're hammering helmets as much as you are face with, with your hands, they're huge. Your hands are as big as my head, but they must've hurt. Um, yeah.
2: Terry. you know what? I, to be honest, um, that was in Providence. I was under contract to Boston the next year. And I was in a scrap with, uh, Richard Scott. And, uh, it was actually, it was a really interesting run. It, it previously leading up to that, um, we had Mike Sullivan, the coach of Pittsburgh. He was our coach in Providence, and we had a pretty strong team. Grant Myers and I were there as teammates, and Myzie went out with a back injury, and I got in the lineup pretty regularly. And I went through a, a spell where I I fought Brookbank, Goddard, Flynn, Brennan, Worrell, you name that, you name the heavy, I went him I don't know if Worrell was that year, it might have been the other year. But anyways, um, that – Boston Bruins uh, brass came to town for a Sunday game against uh, Hartford. And it was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Michael Connell, Jeff Gorton, uh, Robbie fatorik they were the brass. They'd come down. Oliwa was playing for Hartford as long as Garrett Burnett and Richard Scott. So three really tough fucking guys. And uh, i i have been on a bit of a heater. And I fucking told, uh, I told those guys, I said, I'm going to go all three tonight and you guys can pick the order, but... Uh, <laughs> ah, fucking... Such a
1: 90s, such a 90s, even though it's 2000s, thing to say. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> hey, Ollie, Ollie. I'm going to go you, Bernie, and Scott tonight. You guys pick the order. One, two, three. I'm not finishing this fucking game. You're crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm fucking doing it, so let me know when you're ready. And uh, first shift, I went out there, and they were out there as a line, and I, uh, I went to one or the other, and Richard Scott... He never turned down a fight in his life. And he come over and, and I, I caught him with a really good one. i uh, put him down, put him out. I went to the box and my hand was fucking sore and stiff, stiffer than normal. And I wrote out my penalty and I went to the trainer, I went to the bench at the end of the penalty and I showed him my hand. And by that time it was clearly, uh, clearly broken. The back of my hand, the bones it, it looked like a, like a fucking flat tire. It was so it was like A pancake and I'd never had it before, anything like that bad. So I was out of the lineup for six weeks, I think. Had a couple surgeries, pins in, pins out. Came back, literally first game, second game back. Smashed it up again and played both five or six games with a broken hand the rest of the year. Surgeries in the offseason and then signed with the New York Rangers pending uh, passing my physical and I uh, wasn't able to pass that. I ended up having 11 surgeries on my right wrist in the span of 22 months. Um, a bunch of them are general anesthetic, a bunch of Mayo Clinic stuff. I, what I'd had was that the doctor explained to me that, um, I had about 15 fractures in there that had been untreated over the years. And, uh, they were going to reconstruct my metacarpals and my, uh, what do you call them? um, uh, my wrist joints all my tendons and they had to do a reconstructive surgery on my wrist so it took me out for about a year and a half and at the by the time it came back the lockout was on and you know jason spetz is playing in the american league how the fuck am i going to get in the american league you know so um, oh yeah um, by that time yeah so i i, I you know i didn't want to go play in the i was 30 years old i didn't want to go back to the east coast league and fucking play there and slug it out so i uh, i hung him up when i was 30 and with a bad and, ride, with a bad
1: room you know? and Paris who knows like that era start like there was always a lot of fighting if, if you look at the 70s and it's known for the Broad Street bullies and everything but there was you know like Dave Schultz had 20 goals I would say like it, it, Bob Probert was an all-star Chris Nyland what started to happen is that in the 90s people started to get hired to come in and play one shift and so what I'm saying is that You had a very, very successful career, especially, I mean, how it all started and and how, you know, like you said, for years it went undeveloped because you either didn't take it serious enough in your teens or whatever it would be. So, and if you kept going, you know, part of that would have had to be fighting guys that are massive and real tough, and who knows what would have happened. So given that you had such a success and you got so many friends, and as I count, I just thought about it the other day. You're in my book. You're in Theo Fleury's book. You're in Misey's book. I don't know of any more, but just so for the amount that you played and everything, experiences, I mean, some Spezzo, you just meant so he's gone on 21 years just in the NHL. You had this little glimpse of pro. You made the most of it. You just talked about meeting Marilyn Mew, everything else. And you're clearly a memorable character. I mean, Theo Fleury has won the Stanley Cup. You know, here, here's a guy who has more Olympic games played than I have in the NHL. And he's mentioning you uh, in his book. And, you know, I just think for, if you look at the glimpse of time that you played, you're an impactful player, teammate, um, friend, and there's a reason that you're doing what you're doing now. You're a leader. Um, I, got a, I got a few more questions. I know you're pulled over on the side of the road uh all good, man. it's
2: all good you know you're, you're right about it though you know um I, I i think i i've done i think i've done you know my hockey career was you know you know by some standards i overachieved by other standards it was a not even a, a drip of coffee but for me i'm really proud of what i was able able to 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 be, you know accomplish because i you know, I, I knew the neighborhood I grew up in. I knew where I was at 21, 22 years old. And to sign, you know, three NHL contracts from there and, and you know, and make some lifelong friends. Look at yourself, Terry. Like, you, you know, you, you, you're you a guy I knew about when I was a young teenager. And when I played against you as a teenager, you're famous. And you played in the NHL. And you're, you're a larger-than-life personality. And you're one of my favorite guys in the whole world. And look at the genuine friendship that we have. Like, our hockey, our friendship isn't necessarily hockey base you know like you know you know my family i know your family you know we have worked around one another like there's a lot of stuff there that i think makes up the fabric that that i i embrace now is a i work in i work in leadership right i i lead with people i follow i try to teach i try to learn and you know i with the number one rule i i learn is that you know just being genuine really really goes a long way and if someone can trust you and they believe you know right wrong in between asshole nice guy don't fuck can matter. If you're genuinely consistent, you know, people will learn to trust you. And when you got people on your side, man, anything's possible. And so I, I, I subscribe to that. I do a lot of stuff now with with young athletes. I do a lot of stuff now with young professionals. And the number one message they get is, is, is to earn and develop trust.
1: No, that's a great point. And I, I, hockey's the vehicle, right? That's the vehicle. That's how we met. We, we, it could have been, again, at Uh, I don't know, Calgary Stampede, and I'm sure I'd still be your buddy, but hockey's the vehicle, and I often find that, especially if you're not spoon-fed that elite career. I mean, I know I kind of, but uh, you know, I also faced a lot of obstacles. At first, it was, uh, you know, it was knife through butter, but you know, then when I started having to do that, I think it kind of humbles you. Like you said, like when, when you decided to go down and work so hard and go to Milwaukee and then go to Madison and know that you were you were going to be traded, you were going to be a lot as a free agent coming in, an unknown, you knew that you ended a lot of fighting. And it takes, as you're doing that, you learn and not only how to be a leader, but, you know, how to be a professional. And there's so many checks and balances along the way that you can't fuck up. And I think because... It's such a fun and at times glamorous life when you're a young hockey player. People don't realize you're really maturing fast. I mean, it might not look like it on the outside because you're playing a game that you dress up in a uniform. I mean, just that alone, right? You're playing a game. So it appears, geez, I'd love to do that and to each their own. But there's a whole lot of growing up to do, you know, and and if. Yeah, if you've
2: had a hard pass, you, you work with young players. You know, you tell a young player going to uh, St. John Sea Dogs camp or something like that, or, or, you know, take some coffee cards. Tip your trainer, right? Take care of the room. Yes. Business, right? You know, get get him a coffee. If you're stopping at Tim Hortons, get two. You know, yeah. if you're going to grab a couple of tables, grab four. And all of a sudden, you start treating the people that help you around you a little better. That goes on in life. You know, I have people that work on my team that are summer students and administrators, and I try to treat them better than I treat my colleagues, right? Like, you know, they don't need me coming down on them. They need me making their life easier, and then they'll go through walls for me. And so you learn that in hockey, but then you use it in life, and it's a total transferable skill.
1: Well said. Okay, just a few more lighthearted questions. Rapid-fire randoms. You ready? Yep. Okay, let's get it done. Uh, If you could go on tour... With Guns N' Roses, or travel with the New York Yankees for a season, what would you pick? Guns N' Roses. Thought so. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Fly. Good answer. Favorite thing with wheels that isn't a motorized vehicle?
2: Favorite thing with wheels that isn't a motorized vehicle? Oh, geez. I'd say Sheldon Surrey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, let's leave it at that. That's a good answer. Uh, you, you're on a de- deserted island for a year. So let's say similar t- to the pandemic. You know, you're, you're in that situation. You're isolated on a deserted island. It's got all the food and drink you want. It's got electronics, you know, whatever you want. You're just, you can only pick three people outside your immediate family to take with you. Who are they?
2: You'd be one of them.
1: Oh, wow. You want some stories. Thank you. I, I wasn't leading you into that. I wasn't fishing for a compliment there, but because as I said it, I'm like, I'm going to be an option for him. But, you know, I think I, yeah, I'd, I'd at least provide entertainment. Good answer. Keep no, going.
2: You'd be, there. Well, you'd be the best DJ I know. You've taught me that <laughs> about anything. I mean, you introduced me to music, like no man I've ever met. So, <laughs> no. You'd be one of them. Uh, I need someone, someone resourceful. Uh, I had an old buddy of mine, uh, we'll say Brendan Walsh. That guy, uh, he, he wouldn't flinch. He'd be there. And then uh, probably my good buddy, uh, Mizey. I think Mizey be there, too, because uh, he would probably keep us all kind of uh, out of trouble with his new lifestyle. i should not say new lifestyle. It's been fucking 13 years. but
1: Meyer, Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. But Mizey, it will always be a new lifestyle. We're going to maybe when I'm 80 because he represents, I say this jokingly and lovingly and endearingly, but he represents like the toughest party guy ever. Like to me, like, you know what ever. I mean? Like during those ever. years, there was Brant Myers. Everything else, right? That that's the way it was. He's the toughest, and he's the craziest. Yeah, and
2: Next
1: then years later, he's one of the friendliest.
2: Hey, you Walshy and Maisie. I don't know if that's a good or bad crew, but that's Fuck, that idea. would be fun
1: though. I think I'd like to go on that trip with you. Your favorite jersey ever in all of sports? Oh, uh,
2: you know the Hershey Bears jersey is a classic. It's got yeah. that maroon color. It's an eighty-year-old icon. You know it's it, it's it's pretty fucking awesome, but I'm gonna go with the old school Vancouver Canucks flying V gold and black version 1982 versus the New York Islanders. I was there, and I'm gonna go with the '82 Vancouver Canucks. Such
1: a nostalgic feeling came over me when you said that they've brought it back a few times, and they always Canucks wear like all kinds of retro jerseys, but that one doesn't come up much, and everybody wants it. We all want it more, you know, and they. The black one and the yellow one. Uh, I had Tiger
2: Williams. When I was seven years old. Classics.
1: I was... Your favorite 1970s band?
2: Does with Mac count?
1: Yeah, they do. Then that would be a fantastic answer, in my opinion, of course. But yeah, um, your favorite Canadian band?
2: Hmm. Who's my buddy? I just watched there from Blue Rodeo. I just watched, I was sending you pictures there. Our, our, our Blue Rodeo, I'll say. Um, my wife's a big fan. I'm a big fan. Our friend there, um, his name's Escape me right now. He's your buddy there. Jim uh, Cuddy. Did, Jim Cuddy. We just did a, I did a live interactive with him a couple months ago. And mm. uh, big fan. Big fan.
1: Yeah. Cuddy is one of the, he's, and he's such a nice guy and he's a friend that you take it for granted. Like he's this unbelievable songwriter. He still puts out on uh, personally and as a band, like they must be always writing, but uh, Cuddy's
2: writing too. Both both of them
1: And, and fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Very, very talented family. And Jim, as much as I love him, I think he's underrated. I think he's underrated as a songwriter. Um, Kendrick Lamar, Run DMC, or NWA? NWA. Me too. Amy Winehouse, Mariah Carey, or Billie Eilish?
2: Uh, Mariah Carey.
1: Would you go into space if given the opportunity? Yes. Janis Joplin, Aretha Franklin, or Celine Dion? Aretha. New movie coming out by, with uh, like a biopic? Bio, bio um, oh, I want to see that. Yeah, I know. I can't wait.
2: Is she one of the greatest of all time? would she top three or four female Definitely. vocalists of all time?
1: Singers, I, I would think. Yeah, I think you could make an argument for number one, yeah? Um, I don't yeah, know but... if I would go there. We'd have to have a long conversation. <laughs> Dusty Springfield <laughs> would be there for me. That, you know, uh, there there would be a lot. But the first... So, you know, Adele, I guess, if you want to go recent, but the first person that dr- jumps into my mind is Aretha Franklin. That could be growing up with her records. Who knows? Motorbike, mountain bike, or stationary bike? Uh, motorbike. Johnny Carson, Conan O'Brien, or David Letterman? Letterman. Pre-game meal. What, what was your pre- pre- preferred pre-game meal? Steak or pasta or both or whatever?
2: Chicken and pasta. Chicken parm usually
1: you got to pick one of these things for an occupation, uh, astronaut or professional skydiver. Let's say they paid the most, the the same.
2: I'd say astronaut. I I prefer a little more control.
1: (laughs) Good reasoning. Yeah, good reasoning. I I, I found that to be real tough because I'm scared of heights, but... I don't know they if I do. could have it in me to skydive every time, and I'm sure it would be it'd freak me out to go up into space, but control. You know, I'm, I'm on a plane. I'm usually okay, so if I can do that. I'm fascinated with that idea of going into orbit. Now that I know that it's, like, possible that people are doing it, it probably won't be. It'll probably be a thing, like, when I'm dead, but I'm fascinated. I, I think I would. I talk about it so much that at one point I'd say, "Shit or get off the pot." Make sure that, like my daughter, my daughter graduated from high school. I did most of the things on my bucket list because I know I'm. You know, you're probably going to be protected. I just feel that there's a chance I'm not going to come back for whatever reason. That's part of the intrigue, though. Um, yeah. Right. Part of the intrigue. If I was to choke right now, would you be able to help? Hundred percent. Is there life on other pl- is there life out there? I shouldn't say yes. on other planets here, but you know anywhere.
2: Pretty, pretty, pretty naive and narrow-minded to think that we're the most important beings in the universe. When it's so uh, big, yeah, it's so big. We don't know what we don't
1: know. When it's so big, I think it's just a matter of time. Your favorite animal sound? Would it you know cows moo, dogs bark, and so on?
2: I'm a bear, brother. I'm a bear. It's a bear noise. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, hardest punch you've ever been hit with?
2: Steve McLaren, fucking right hand in Philly one night, hit me in the temple, dropped me to my knees. I didn't even feel it. I kind of come to holding his elbows.
1: I felt that too. I went Lassard, Lassard, McLaren. Hello. Oh. Hello. Ice uh, no, ice. Uh, ice pack's all over my head. Jo- a horrible experience. I mean, <laughs> looking back, it's a great story. DJ Smith, one of his favorites. But yeah, that took the good out of me. Um, your favorite restaurants. uh Anywhere in the world, Um, you don't have the plug of friends. Um, Let's just say on the road back in the day. I I used to like going to Mort's and my favorite Mort's actually was
2: in Pittsburgh. I've been to that one tonight. I'm going to be in Vancouver for dinner. I'm going to Joe Forte seafood house there. It's uh, I try to make a point of going. I've been there with uh, been there with Pat Quinn one time on a group dinner. I've been there probably five or six times in my life, and uh, I never miss when I'm in Vancouver uh, the last couple times. So um, I shouldn't say five or six times, probably ten now, but Joe Forte Seafood House in Vancouver, number one for me.
1: Is there anything else you want to promote? I know you do some charity work. A few years ago, you played in the then longest hockey game ever. I think it was like seven or eight days long or whatever it was. But, you know, you do a lot of charity work. Is there anything else you want me to plug here or uh, – Uh, Until the next time we speak, my friend.
2: Have you seen my uh, hockey training company, my Edgeboss hockey company? We got those on-ice training aids, hurdles, mannequins. All the new-age hockey players are working on these apparatus trainings. My, my partners and I, uh, a couple of ex-NHLers, Jeff Shantz, uh, Phil Crow, and my buddy uh, Pat Seeley played uh, junior college, university, some Olympic hockey. Four of us started this little company, and we we build these training aids. We sell them. There's some guys from Newfoundland that own some. Um, I, I was messaging you about that, and so Edgeboss hockey, hockey super proud of it lots of fun and guys seem to like it
1: awesome um well thanks again for doing this especially in the manner that you're doing it literally on the uh coca hall or wherever the hell you are you're on the highway somewhere <laughs> and uh you know pulling over to the side of the road is one step above and beyond uh and you didn't have to man i appreciate it i'm gonna leave you with some song lyrics as i do this song's called the enforcer by monster truck I'm going to make you sorry. Don't try my patience, son. There's a reason I'm the one. people stand. People, I'm the one people stand aside for. Just play the game, you know, and we won't go toe-to-toe. Under the lights, my justice reigns. Crossing the line will put you in pain. The Enforcer, and I mean that in the most uh, lovingly of terms, You know, I don't like the term goon, but enforcers kind of along the lines of, you know, that's what you did, Perce. love it or hate it. That's part of your DNA. You're a great hockey player, but you were an enforcer. One of the best I've ever played with or against, and certainly an unreal teammate. Every enforcer I know that lasted is a great teammate. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to play the role. I love you. You're one of my best friends. Thanks a lot for doing this. And I'll talk to you again soon. I'd love, love to see your family over here in Newfoundland again one day.
2: I'll plan a trip out that way. You know, I got a sister there. And all the best hugs and kisses to, to your mom and your dad and your little girl out there, Terry. I love you. You call me anytime, brother.
1: Thanks a lot, Pers. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for doing this. And there you have it. St. Patty's Day Massacre. Survivor. Good friend. Professional hockey player. Canadian university player, senior hockey graduate, all round good guy Steve Parsons. We could go on and on. One of my best friends in the world, hockey or not hockey, no hockey. Uh Paris has made it out here to Newfoundland a couple times. And I stayed with him actually in Calgary. I didn't bring that up. When I first went out there to work, well first geez, what am I saying? In oh seven, oh eight I went out there though to work for a year. And I he had me stay at his house for two full months with no Rant, no nothing. Just a great person. So thanks a lot, Steve Parsons. And if you haven't already, check it out, St. Paddy's Day Massacre. And uh, for shits and giggles, just Google Steve Parsons. A lot of great battles back in the day when that was a thing. When uh, I like to have enforcers on. Again, I understand the game is going in a different direction. Um, I'm not really interested in in opinion or, or trying to sit here and say, you know, we should have fighting or we shouldn't. I just think that's an interesting part. It happened, right? It's part of the game. It's part of what happened. And it's always interesting to have those stories. And from a perspective of a guy that, you know, went through it and at, you know, one of the most storied eras of the, the classic hockey fighter that there's been, it's all an evolution of course. And, uh, good luck to the game. No matter what, I, I think it is still really entertaining to be honest. um, Some of these calls and dives and whatever—I mean, it does—it gets frustrating. And sometimes I vent to ex-players I played with. I was talking with Jason McBain this week after one of these games. But, but the thing is, there's there's always what I do like is the intensity in the playoffs, and there's a lot of people finishing hits you know a lot of traditionalists might look and say you know hockey's not what it used to be but anybody that you know watches other sports that might be taking in hockey for the first time I say it every year in the playoffs they must be impressed we we put a good product out there man like it really is it's fast there's hitting there's there's a lot of overtime games, which means a lot of parody. Fans, you know, it's great for the fans. There's more and more goals being scored. More and more superstars. I think some of the rules that were changed years ago now are are really starting to come to fruition when you see the, the moves and the you know, just the, the attention to detail and, and and puck handling and everything. Uh I find it mesmerizing. And there's of course good and bad with every era. Yes, I think it could be a little bit tougher and Every year, whoever wins the cup always has an element of toughness. And uh, so I don't think it's going to change. And look at the defensemen that are left on each team. They're huge. I've always said it, it's physics. You don't even necessarily to have, need to have guys back there that are going to maim you with every hit, but it's just physics. And it's a long game with, with short zones and there's hitting, you know, and it's there's a weapon in your hand. And it's it's a grind, man. It's a grind. And uh, for better or for worse, I think we still have the most entertaining uh, professional sport to watch in the playoffs. Listen, this has been great. It's awesome to catch up with Steve Parsons. Uh, thanks a lot for tuning in. If you're downtown St. John's, Wedgwood Cafe, of course. Patio season now, man. Go down and experience it. Of course, come to TJ's patio. And of course, come to Greensleeves, uh, you know, which is my places of work. But TJ's patio, but, you know, it's the same ownership. So, Come on down, check us out. But more than anything, just come down and and take in downtown St. John's. A lot of businesses need a Trinity Pub is a great new patio. Check that out. Pretty much everywhere. Merchant Tavern's back. Uh, I don't want to start listing places because there's dozens down there that, well, I, I would think there's probably over 50 in that one little area. You know, Duckworth and Water Street. And they're shutting it down now for pedestrians in the summer. And I really think it's going to be great coming out of this pandemic. I'm really looking forward to all of it. So, you know, get out and support it and and live again, you know. Experience life. The vaccines are coming through and more and more regulations are being lifted. More and more fans in the ranks. Good luck to the Montreal Canadiens tonight. It's a joyride. And uh, more and more fans, as you can see, they thrive on it. Uh, Penny Posh, Women's Wear Reimagined. Check, uh, check that out online. Of course, I'll throw in a book for 99 bucks, a, a hoodie and a book, and uh, some other little things like a card and a picture. Just shoot me an email. If you want a book, Ryan 2020 at gmail.com, 25 bucks plus shipping. Listen, everybody, thanks a lot. This has been Episode 58. Steve Parsons, one of my best. Thanks, brother. As for everybody else, thanks for tuning in. Catch you on The Rebound.